Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, and welcome to another On The Move. I'm Matt Avery, and joining me is co-host John Craman, lead TV commentator for Mecham Auctions on NBCSN. John, today we are on the move. We are not too far from downtown Chicago. We are on site at Gold Eagles headquarters, and we have a special guest joining us. John, do you want to tell listeners who it is? Oh, Matt, my honor, Matt. And that's, we're going to have Matt Bannock. He's the VP of marketing for Gold Eagle, and he's going to kind of break down the broad band of family products. And then in segment three, we have an on the move review. This time, John, we are moving into electrification. We're going to be discussing the 2021 Mustang Mach-E. It's a premium with all wheel drive. So lots of discussion about that vehicle. And we also have some excitement as we are gearing up for the next Mecham auction, which will be taking place place in Dallas, Texas, September 8th through the 11th. And stay tuned because on next week's On The Move, we will have our On The Move auction spotlight. Now, John, let's talk about some car news because we do have uh, several points of discussion related to what we're calling an electric update. We've got some some news uh, starting with the Chevrolet Bolt. There's a recall. What's the date on that? Yeah, this was really big news, Matt. Um, As many people have heard, maybe some haven't, the uh, all-electric Chevrolet Bolt has just been subjected to a very major recall. Every Chevrolet Bolt that has been built uh, has to have its batteries replaced. Problem is, is there are no batteries available at this time, so it's going to take General Motors some time. They apparently have had some issues with uh, some of the battery packs catching on fire. And so uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on that. Exactly how are they going to solve the problem? They said it was manufacturing defects and some batteries was the was the reason for that. Uh, but obviously, it's had a real big impact on the way a lot of people feel about uh, all of the hype around electric vehicles. Any of the reports that you read, John, related to those fires, was that in motion? Was that charging? Any any insight into that? Yeah, apparently, what they're saying is Matt is that they have felt that some of the batteries that had these these flaws may have been subject to overcharging. So what they're doing is, is they're recommending that you do not park the vehicles in any type of a garage and that you restrict the charging limits. They're recommending 80%, but no more than 90% charge capacity. So... Uh, hopefully General Motors will come up with a plan here real soon and get that get that, that all straightened out. Yeah. Now, John, a lot of these electric vehicles are being sold on the West Coast and specifically in California. And now that they've been on the market for several years, we're getting more data about the trends of ownership. And there's some new reports. What's the latest with that? Yeah, registrations in California show that approximately 20%, in other words, one out of every five, former owner of an EV has gone back to an ICE engine, conventional internal combustion engine. And the number one reason they're saying is, is inconvenient charging, a topic that you and I have talked about that for some time. Now, there certainly is a big effort across the country to get more charging stations out there as more and more electric cars hit the road. It's not quite there yet. Keeping the theme on electric, we know more about the powertrain powering the Lamborghini Countach, the supercar just revealed at Monterey not too long ago. And what we know is that on board, there is not a battery as part of that electric powertrain. Instead, Lamborghini is using what they call a superconductor. John, break that down. What all does that mean? Yeah, this is pretty cool, Matt, because... 
you know, with all of this word about batteries and, and the heavy metals that go into the manufacture of their batteries, uh, Lamborghini has come up with what they're referring to as superconductor technology, what they're claiming has 10 times more energy storage than traditional lithium-ion batteries. And their new uh, Countach has that, which, of course, has the drivetrain from the almost $4 million Lamborghini Science. I'm going to say that that's probably pretty expensive <laughs> technology, at least for the time being. But this might be something that we might want to keep an eye on going forward, seeing if there might be alternatives to battery during uh, during these days of, of more and more cars going to electric power. Well, and this is something that you and I are, are forecasting that we're going to see more of is that this combination of ICE powertrains working in conjunction right. with electric technology, there's really uh, a lot of data that shows that that's a great way to improve performance. That being said, speaking of Lamborghini, they have made an announcement about V12, their V12 uh, gasoline-powered engine, and it seems like, John, it's not going away anytime soon. No, Stephen Winkleman, he's the CEO of Lamborghini, and he has gone on the record within the past couple of days as saying that the legendary 12-cylinder, the V12 power plant, uh, in their top-of-the-line models is something that they don't have a forecast for discontinuation. He says the future of that engine is strong and is going to march into the future. And just let me say, just as a pitch to that effect, we know that the current state of internal combustion engines, they're reliable, they make a lot of power, they're efficient uh, from a standpoint of not only fuel economy, but also very low emissions as well. So as we continue to move forward, just give me choices between the two and I'll be happy. (laughs) Well, and one final uh, topic for today's car news section relates to that, John, and the future of EV and integration into the market. And that's that uh, it looks like the current uh, Biden administration has said their target goal by uh, 2050 is for our roads to have 50% of electric vehicles on them. Um, And so you and I have talked about this, that that is a, seems reasonable, but it also doesn't spell disaster for ICE powertrains. No, and I think that's the point, Matt. As much as we think that ICE engines are going away, they clearly are not. I'm going to predict as we move forward over the next, oh, say, two to five years that we're going to see more manufacturers with electric power and more with hybrid power as well. But the demise of the ICE engine is not going to happen for many, many years. As keeping in mind, they're not saying that 50% of all the vehicles sold, they just want to have a goal of 50% of the vehicles operating on the roads at that time being electric power. Once again, it sounds like it's all about choices. That's what I want to hear. Mecham Auctions is proud to bring you On the Move with Matt Avery and John Craman. For more on the world of collector cars, head over to Meekum.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, Matt, and talking to Matt Avery, uh, we're not kidding. We say On the Move. We are actually at the world headquarters for... Some of the best people that we know that, that share the same passion that Mecham Auctions does, the folks at Gold Eagle, we're here for a visit of, of the facility and also to dive deep on the capabilities of this incredible company. And to be able to help us do that, we've got Matt Bannock. He is the Vice President of Marketing for Gold Eagle. And the other Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, let's get things kicked off. Let's take it right back to the beginning. Uh, tell our viewers, where did Gold Eagle get its start? How long has it been around? So Gold Eagle's pushing 90 years. We're actually planning our 90th anniversary. It was founded in uh, 1932 by Armin Hirsch. Um, he actually worked for another company called Black Swan and got unhappy with that and headed out on his own to start Gold Eagle. And so now we're in uh, third generation family running it. So his, his son's 
uh, Rich and Bob ran the company for a long time. Now their son-in-law, Bob's son-in-law, Mark, is uh, the CEO of the company. And one of the important things to note, Matt, is that it's actually a family of brands. Can you break it down? What all is in the lineup? Yeah, so Gold Eagle is the, the parent company, and our family of brands is Stable, which everyone kind of knows, or hopefully everyone knows. Uh, the up-and-coming 303, which if you watch Meekum, every car gets wiped down with our 303 products, which is great. Um, and then 104, which is a great legacy brand, uh, Octane Boost. And then a new one for us is Trinova, which if you look it up on Amazon, it's a lot of home care and pet care items. One of the things that really resonates well with us, Matt, is a similar dynamic and personality to the way that the companies operate, both Meekum and Gold Eagle, and that is being a longtime company from a family-run standpoint. Within the culture of the organization, this is a big company, but within the culture, how important do you think that that family connection is at this point? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's very important. It's part of our kind of our core values. Uh, there is a lot of family involved. Our marketing team has a fourth generation family working on it right now. Um, a lot of our production staff, there's people that have been here 20, 30, 40 years and they retire from here. So it's a great company to work for. They try and instill that family component and treat everyone that way um, throughout the organization. One of the other things that's readily apparent from the site visit that uh, John and I were able to go on this morning is how much is actually done on site. Walk us through the process because really almost from start to finish, your team does the majority of its business right here at the headquarters. Yeah, I mean, we're somewhat unique when you look at other people and that we compete with in the industry. Uh, we try and be as vertically integrated as we possibly can. Um, so we do our own blending here. We do our own marketing. We make our own bottles in some instances. Uh, we are unique. We have our own art research and development department here that can break down components in uh, competitors' products, look at new ones that are new to the world, and put them into a product that's user-friendly. Let's talk a bit about some other products uh, within the Gold Eagle lineup. Uh, it's not all about those branded items. You actually work with a variety of other suppliers for private label use as well. Yeah, the... Uh, the world of putting liquids or high-quality liquids into a bottle is not, not as big as people might think. So there's lots of things that we make that you don't even realize we're making it. Um, if you get your car serviced at a dealer, there's a good chance that we're making the liquids that are going into your brand-new car that the dealer's working on. So it's a big deal to be trusted by OEMs to make the product with their name on it. Uh, they don't necessarily like to broadcast that to the world. There's some very protective OEMs with some very big names. They're obviously... That's, that's their brand, that's their legacy. But there's people like John Deere that they, they trust us so much they put our brand on, uh, on their bottle. Same thing with uh, Honda for their marine items. They put from the makers of Stable right on the front of it. If we look at the 303 product line, relatively new to the Gold Eagle family, how important has it been and how big of a part of that um, car care business has it, has it become? And are you catering more towards the individual, the consumer, or more towards the dealer market? So 303 came on with Gold Eagle. We're, we say we're a family of brands. They came on to be part of the family in 2012. Um, and they were mainly focused in the marine. They had a niche of automotive, but marine and patio furniture. So we've started expanding the automotive side. Um, and I would say it's very important for the future. Obviously, people question what's the longevity of gas. And obviously we, we make a lot of fuel related items, so we want to be diverse. Uh, but we really like car care. It really adds into what we're doing. Uh, so looking at that new technology, we, we try and target the high involvement enthusiast is what I like to call it. So they're willing to pay a little bit extra for the, a product that's really going to perform well. Um, and they like taking care of their car. It's not just a chore for them. So that's really who we want to talk to. Is there any part of a car 
if we can take the exterior, we can take the wheels, we can take the tires, we can go into the interior as well. Is there any area that you guys don't have a top quality product for? I haven't seen any. You know, there's, I would say we have a product that works on everything. Sometimes people like to see a product that has a specific name for that. It's an interior cleaner or it's this or it's that. But we have products that work on everything from the inside for your LCD screens, for tires. Uh, we have a great line of convertible top products, which is kind of unique for uh, a lot of people mm. don't have that. Uh, so, yeah, I would say we cover everything, but we're always looking to make something better and looking at the new technology that's coming out. A lot of car guys involved at this company from our visit here. We've learned that. And I think, in my opinion, that's really important because part of what you guys do is try to forecast what are going to be needs in the upcoming market. And then you're able to develop actually products to fit those niches. Do you have your own in-house development team? And how long does it take typically from the concept of a new product until it's ready to go on the shelf? That's a, that's a tough question. Uh, in some way, I mean, it, it always depends on t- timeline. Uh, so we have chemists, and we they've all been kind of cross-trained to know how to detail a car. They know enough about engines. They work with the OEMs. That's one of the advantages of working with the OEMs. We kind of get a little bit of foresight into what's going on inside the engines, inside transfer cases, inside rear ends, whatever it might be. Um, but we do have a team of enthusiasts that are on the forums that are living living the life of going out to car shows, going out to meet them. I mean, even if you go to meet them, I mean, that's, that's our staff that's working the booth. It's not... It's not necessarily a contractor, which I mean, I think most of the Meekum sponsors have very well-educated people in their booths. But if you go to other events, they don't. They might have brand ambassadors out there. So we have that at all the events we go to, not just Meekum. So I think that makes us a little bit different. We're talking to consumers uh, firsthand and getting that uh, the the pulse of the industry. I right, guess is a right. good way to put it. So we're we're trying to stay on the front forefront of that. Now, along those lines, you talked about that need to be out there getting that real-world feedback. What about real-world testing? Because you mentioned you've got an on-site lab. Are there any other methods or or ways that you guys are seeing how these products perform out in the real world? Before anything, I mean, I don't want to go too specific because obviously anyone could listen to this podcast, but the... uh, Nothing hits the market without some pretty rigorous testing from people that are both novice and I would say high involvement enthusiasts, sometimes professional detailers. Professional detailers have great insight. They can they can give you insight that other people can't, but you always have to realize that a lot of these things are going to go to AutoZone Advance, Amazon, uh, O'Reilly's, and you want that everyday consumer to want to take that step up and buy that good product there too. With all of the data and uh, that your team is taking in, watching the market, what are some of the trends that you're currently seeing? Um, for stable, I mean, I think stable has been interesting. You're seeing, you're seeing opportunity because there's hybrid cars out there. Well, how fast does a, does gas get used in a oh, hybrid yeah. car? Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, I mean, cars sat for a long period of time, and everyone out there, from the Wall Street Journal to all of the PR agencies, were talking about taking care of your car, not only the fuel, but protecting it from mice or different, depending on where it's parked. I mean, you never know where it's parked. Um, on the appearance side. I mean, you see the trends of new technology, buzzwords in technology. I mean, we have our graphing product. Uh, we have a touchless sealant, which is kind of geared at ease of use. Um, using new technology, re- replacing that paste wax, which still has a place, but kind of of the past, replacing it with new, new easier-to-use technology that, that, frankly, performs better in a lot of cases. Speaking of graphene, that is a current buzzword. Just hit us briefly on where that has come from, how long you've had your graphene product, and just what your overall thoughts are about it. 
So our graphene product is, I mean, it's a new, it's about a year old now. We launched it at Mecum and it's at uh, Advanced Auto Parts right now and hopefully other places going into next year. Um, it's brand new technology. So typically in these, I mean, this is where you kind of get the high involvement detail away from the people who are just going to the store. These chemistries show up in little spots in these online niche groups. And at some point, someone from the, one of the big companies makes it easier to get or makes it in a, a consumer-friendly package and puts it out there for the world. Uh, we had a brand manager who noticed this was going on, and our chemists were able to develop a formula. They spent a lot of time going and doing research, going to seminars, talking to the people who originally developed graphene, I think it's in Manchester, um, and figuring out the easiest way to put this together in a consumer-friendly package. So there's lots of ways to put it together but something that consumers can use easily. And it's, I think it's important because it stands up to its claims. They're not over the top claims. Uh, it can easily do it. And I think if, I mean, if people are interested, you can go on YouTube and watch the videos. It's performing pretty well against anyone out there who's making any claims even close. The last two years have been very interesting for, <laughs> for everyone given as uh, you know, with, with COVID how did that affect your brand, and did that alter any of your day-to-day -day operations? Um, it altered day-to-day -day operations for everybody, um, but we are an automotive company, so we didn't really shut down. We also, Gold Eagle as a company, made hand sanitizer for a few months to support first responders and all the other things while there was a shortage, uh, just because we do, we do already produce products that have alcohol in them, and we have a facility that can make things that meet the EPA registrations. Um, Issues with supply chain, were, I mean, if you get 303 right now, you might get a sprayer that's not the best. It doesn't meet our high standard, but it's what was available at the time. Uh, but as far as our brands, it was actually really, I hate to, I hate to use the word good and, re, and revolving around COVID, but it did. We get it. it. It did provide people the time to pick up their tools or pick up a towel and go do things that they had been putting off. So if you look at data, not only appearance, not only chemicals like stable or 303, but auto parts like the paint and body did really well at auto retailers. People were, people were starting to do stuff themselves. Um, you saw with stable, not only at cars, but you know, people had time to cut their own lawn. So now they were buying gas cans. You couldn't get gas cans. Stable was selling really well. You couldn't get a lawnmower because supply chain was restricted. And I mean, it's not great for if you're a professional landscaper necessarily, but it gave people time to do those things that they just didn't have time to do themselves. Well, one thing that I think we all share a passion about, and that is the upcoming SEMA show, of course, canceled last year, I think a sign that things are returning uh, back to normal. And we've had discussion. You've got a pretty big team going out to, to SEMA this year. Like I said, business kind of back, uh, everybody back to business. Um, what do you anticipate uh, sending out as far as staff out to SEMA? And are you looking forward to heading out there? So as far as SEMA, we actually do SEMA and Apex. We do both shows. Uh, we've been doing Apex for a long time, so we can't forget about that one. So we typically bring about 25 to 30 people for these shows. Uh, I think SEMA is going to have five to seven people that cover it, but we tend to move around be between it. But SEMA is pretty important for us this year. I think the with the pandemic, our graphene launch went really well. I mean, we used Meekum for that. We did an online launch. The influencers got a hold of it. It was great. Uh, but we didn't have the chance to really talk about it at SEMA. This year, we'll be still be talking about graphing. We're going to be talking about our other new items that we're coming out with, which I think is going to be unique. Um, from what we've heard, there's not a lot of people coming out with new items because of the pandemic, and they've been kind of squeezed, which makes it great that we have a research and development department here, and we make our own products because we were able to respond and continue, continue with business as usual a little bit, but keep making those new things. 
Matt, uh, Gold Eagle, very well known for uh, some special project cars from time to time, and we had a chance to take a peek at the latest creation. Give us some details on a very special Nissan Z car. The uh, Nissan 350Z, I can't give you all the details because I was not the person who put it together. I know more about the 58 Apache that we uh, sold at Mecham last year. That was fun. But the uh, the internal team, our stable brand manager and 303 brand manager, spent the time to build a Nissan 350Z. Um, and outside of Mecham, we do work with a... Uh, Association Grid Life, and it's, it's track days, and it's a little bit younger audience. And we wanted to get something that was a cool car that was cost effective, total budget of twenty five thousand dollars, that was not too fast and the furious out is the best way to put it that everyone will probably understand. But it's a cool looking car. So it's a, I think it's a two thousand three or two thousand five Nissan three fifty Z that we've paid. I think we paid eleven thousand dollars for a bone stock original brake car with under 100,000 miles on it. It's a stick shift. It's red, stable red. And uh, we did, I would say, tasteful upgrades to it to make it more of a track day car that you could drive every day. So other than it not being able to make it up the ramp into our garage because it's too low now, um, it's been it's been pretty w- well received. Uh, we actually had it out at a few events. It's drawn a crowd. It even drew a crowd at a diesel truck show. So people like it. I Hopefully it uh, gets some other people into the stable brand and makes some people aware that we're made in the USA and we're car people and we don't just like old cars. We like we like every car. Well, that is music to our ears, Matt. Now, if listeners want to find out more about Gold Eagle and the entire range of products that are offered, where can they head online? So goldeagle.com is pretty robust. It has a big, strong tips and tips and tools section, but it also has every single one of our brands on there. You can buy it there if you want to. It can also direct you to the closest retailer where you want to pick it up. So Goldeagle.com has every bit of information you need. Well, Matt, uh, we really appreciate the chance to come by, take a look at the facility, meet you and a lot of the staff here. And I just have to say that for on behalf of all of us at Mecham, the relationship that you have, we have with you guys means a lot to us. We share a lot in common, and we look forward to keeping that going down the road. Yeah, I mean, we, we love it with Mecham, and the, uh, it's an easy drive from Wisconsin to Chicago, so it makes it easy <laughs> to collaborate with things like this. Well said. Don't adjust that dial. On the Move will be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. Well, John, uh, recently we had the chance to put another new vehicle to the test, and this time our On the Move review was focusing on a 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E. Ours came equipped as a premium all-wheel drive version with a bunch of options, um, and all told it rang up at $56,200. So, John, before we dive in, let's talk about the rundown of the Mach-E lineup, because there are a lot of different trims. What's the total scope of the model range? Well, beginning with this model year, Matt, 2021, for the first time ever, we have a production all-electric uh, Ford passenger car, and the, they've called it the Mustang, the Mach-E, kind of a clever name. And it's available currently in four different trim levels. The Select is the base car. That's got a base price in the roughly $43,000 range. The next step up from that is the Premium that we tested. Then there's a California Route 1 edition. And then at the top of the list is a GT. Power course by all electric motors, ranging anywhere from 266 to 459 horsepower. Our Premium tester, 340 six horsepower and that does zero to 60 in about 4.8 seconds now one of the things that is going to immediately jump out uh john is that uh, not that not necessarily that it's an electric vehicle but the fact that ford 
dipped into their archives, their heritage to apply this Mustang nameplate to such an advanced vehicle. And, uh, you know, the Mach-E has been on the streets for a while, but I still think that conversation is worth having about is it successful? Is it being adopted by the Mustang faithful? Because that is such a powerful nameplate for the brand. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you think it's a successful integration of such a historical name? Not sure yet, Matt. I will say that uh, when I first heard about it, it's been, I think, well over a year ago, we reported on the on a previous episode of the podcast that they were using the Mustang name I was suspect, and especially after I saw the car. First of all, it is a four-door car. I guess you could call it um, a large sedan or a crossover. It's not really an SUV. Um, It's actually got a very sleek look, but it certainly is a four-door, non-traditional Mustang look. But now that time has gone on, we've seen more and more of them. I do like the way the car looks. I'm a little bit better now with the Mustang name that I was initially, and that's coming from a lifelong Mustang fanatic and a current Mustang owner. How the other traditional Mustang enthusiasts are shaping up on that, I'm not quite sure. Um, When you look at the new Mustang Mach-E, what do you see as part of its personality that has any ties to the traditional Mustang? I think that's a great point because to me, John, I think Ford was very successful at incorporating several design touches, not just one or two, but several that really do speak to the model's heritage. So to your question, when I look at it, the first thing that jumps out is the taillights. And, you know, those tri-bar, that tri-bar design, to me, that's very classic Mustang. Um, I also think there's a lot of it in the C-pillar. Like you mentioned, that rakish uh, back end. To me, I I do see a lot of that fastback uh, two-door counterpart. The other thing, too, that I like, John, is when you get inside... Uh, the design connections continue. I saw it with with the door pulls, you know, very much a Mustang throwback, as well as with the dual cowl dash design. So I will say, I think that Ford has successfully pulled off doing as much as they can to not just slapping the Mustang horse logo on an entirely brand new, radically designed crossover. I think they were intentional about trying not to rock the boat. And uh, like you said, only time will tell if really that Mustang faithful crowd fully embraces it um, or if they still kind of see it as a as a you know as a as a one-off or a horse of a different color if you will right well let's talk about the actual car itself first of all as we both I think we both agree we like the way the car looks yeah it has a very yeah. pleasant clean look contemporary a few of the Mustang hints that that you've talked about but let's get into the driving characteristics um, for those that are listening that have not driven an electric car uh, it definitely is different and of course the new Mach-E uh, has a different feel than a conventional gas engine powered car first thing that i noticed is matt was the very large center mounted uh what looks like a large ipad providing a tremendous amount of information and you get in and you push the start button and of course you don't hear an engine start up you see everything light up and i have to say that the information on that display screen not only was it there a lot of it on there it looked like it was fairly easy to navigate like you said i I think it's becoming common or the current trend both in electrified vehicles and not is really to have the center multimedia system be kind of encapsulated in a large large iPad-like design. So that's very on-trend. And to your point, there is a lot of data and it's it's presented well. Um, I kind of was hoping for a little bit more data to, to delve into, but I think Ford is trying to keep it streamlined so that driver distraction is at a minimum. 
Um, but that being said, I also really liked talking about presentation of data. I really like the simple uh, center cluster, although it's it's more of a screen. Very low, very sleek, and and really helps keep your eyes on the road. Well, and what I noticed on there more than anything else, like a lot of neophyte EV um, uh, drivers, is I want to know how much is the charge on a percentage basis and how much range do, I, range do I have. And on that display screen that you're talking about, clearly and, and, and cleanly, on the left side of that cluster, it does show very prominently at all times what you've got as far as charging rate remaining and what you've got their estimating range based on your current driving uh, characteristics. So it's nice that that's up there right front because, you know, range anxiety is the number one concern for most people with EVs. And I think to get down to where you don't notice that you're getting down low on charge, you'd You'd have to be half asleep. How did you feel about the size, John? Because I will say that was one thing that um, I was reminded when I got behind the wheel is that it it actually does feel a little bit like a larger vehicle. It, I, I do feel like it's a larger crossover. Did you have that same reaction? Same exact thing. And the first thing that you notice is, is the car's got nice lines. It's bigger than you might think. And the interior dimensions are actually larger than you might think. Now, this was a premium trim level up one notch from a base. But I had made a couple comments to you that I really felt like the accommodations inside were, were, were clearly... To very close to luxury car class. How about you? Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's one of the things that people are still really realizing is that electric vehicles don't really look that different. I don't think they need to. I think right. that's part of the key to having them be adopted by the masses is, you know, don't have them be so futuristic, have them be very contemporary. And I think that's a very successful formula. Yeah. And then the next thing, uh, once the button is pushed, um, all the other controls at that point begin to operate very conventionally. Rotary shifter, very much like what's seen in a lot of other gasoline-powered Ford products, uh, was very easy to operate. And then, of course, the actual silence and that off idle, there is no idle per se, but we'll call it that off idle torque and acceleration. Very impressive. The way that I would probably describe it more than anything else is it's kind of like driving a full-size slot car. Those of us that grew up with uh, slot car tracks uh, understand and appreciate how quickly they respond and how zippy that they feel and that sound and very much the same sensation. What were your thoughts behind the wheel once the car was moving? I agree with you that very quiet, uh, very easy to to turn on, very easy to get in gear. The thing that I immediately turned off was the option for the one pedal driving. And what that is, is, is to me, I feel like that's almost a throwback to the early years of electric vehicles, where when you would let off the gas, uh, the vehicle would kind of um, lurch forward, almost like that golf cart sensation that right. people know electric vehicles for. And it really does seem like, I think now that you know, technology is catching up, automakers are actually able to reduce that. Because I will say, if you are not anticipating, if you're a passenger and you have it on, it and you let off the driver lets off the gas or accelerator, it really does bring you forward. And it can be a little jarring. So it's nice that Ford gives you that option to turn it off. I think it's just another way that automakers with each passing year are able to refine the technology and make it more uh, akin to what people are used to. Well, and that uh, that sensation that you've described, Matt, is regenerative braking, a very important element to uh, the systems and the operation of an EV car where you've got 
additional electrical power under braking that is being actually returned some of that some of that lost energy is being returned back to the batteries and you're right i mean you had switched it on and off while i was driving the car and there's a dramatic difference in the sensation you still feel a little bit of that kind of uncontrolled deceleration but i was learning and i mentioned to you as well that the more you drive the car and it's using more pressure than movement on the accelerator pedal is you can you can control that a little bit you can get it to smooth out so that your passengers in particular don't feel like they're being kind of jerked around a little bit so um, I think as time goes by, they're probably going to further refine these systems for right now, as long as there's good power coming from that regenerative braking system back into the batteries. I would consider that to be a big plus. Well, John, my final question for you is, as a uh, passionate Mustang owner, after your time with the Mach-E, any thoughts about this one joining your stable? Well, as much as I'm becoming more and more okay, Matt, with the Mustang nameplate on it, it certainly does not have the driving sensation or characteristics or feel behind the wheel as a traditional Mustang, nor do I think that Ford probably expected that. So taking that out of the loop uh, compared to, uh, say, a large sedan or a large to a midsize SUV, I think it drives and rides fairly comparable to anything else that I've driven out there. I think the overall driving characteristics of the car is good. It's solid. It's tight. It's got great visibility. And once again, you know, the styling of the car, for those listeners that haven't had a chance to look at it in person, the car really does have an attractive presence. And I think that that helps me to except I guess the fact that it's called a Mustang and just a final thought on that Matt is I think that Ford as we move forward I think that the Mustang name in general is going to be used for Ford passenger cars right now only two in their lineup of course the sports car version the traditional Mustang and now of course the Mustang Mach-E whether or not they add more into the future I don't know but Obviously, the Mustang nameplate's here to stay. You've been listening to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekum.com. And join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.